Live from the KIJU studios in beautiful Ogasawara, this is the Monster Island Film Vault, episode 44, The Misties vs. Gamera vs. Zigra. Hello, Kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, the film curator here on Monster Island, Nate Marchand, and despite a great many perils, some of which I blame on Goji-kun and Brokong, our resident gremlins, yeah, sure. We'll add Ultramite and what's the other one's name? Serena, uh, the cousin of the Shobajin. I guess she's getting in on the shenanigans too. Oh, but her and my pseudo sister get along so well. But anyway, we are pressing on. And today I have a pair of wonderful guests here with me. The first one is a returning guest. You know him, you love him. The co-host of Kaiju Weekly, the editor of Kaiju Ramen, and the co-host of the brand spanking new Henshin Men podcast, Travis Alexander. How's it going, Travis? It is going good. I have to say, though, I was just here on Monster Island... (laughs) Just a couple of weeks ago, recording a podcast with you, (laughs) and you couldn't have just recorded this while I was here. You had to let me get all the way back home and then send me another invite to bring me back to Monster Island. You know I can only afford so many trips to Monster Island. Uh, Well, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. uh, I I do have a trust fund of uh, budgeted money for my guests, so we might be able to compensate you a little bit. I'll put something in with the board and see what they think about that you know i have kept my receipts yes keep those receipts Uh, those will come in (laughs) handy how did you get here today anyway the last time you flew on fuzzy mothra yeah and the time before that i was teleported here and Mm -hmm. my evil mini me was set and loose on the world still haven't heard back from him yet i I haven't either and let's uh let's keep it that way now this time it was manda manda yeah, but it wasn't the Manda I'm used to. You know, I, he he looks a little different now ever since Godzilla Singular Point came out. Oh, he's, is that one? Got a new hairdo. Yeah, he's trying out the you know the new style now. You know, that's a, a kaiju like people are very conscious about fashion trends. So he, I guess he decided he needed to try something new out. And so I'm guessing he swam all the way to Louisiana, met you on the Louisiana beach, and said, "Hop on." Is that how it worked? Mississippi, but yes. oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Why do I keep thinking you live in Louisiana? I'm a terrible host. <laughs> it's okay. No, no, Manda stays far away from Louisiana because anybody who knows Louisiana people, if it swims, crawls, or flies, they will eat it. Yes. So uh, any kaiju needs to stay far away from Louisiana. <laughs> This is true. This is true. And now, interestingly, 
We have a little bit of a surprise guest, <laughs> listeners. If you've been paying attention to the last couple of episodes, this is not the guy I said was coming. But he's actually returning a bit of a favor for me, as we might talk about here a little bit. But there was one time that I had to be a last-minute fill-in for him. So now he's being a last-minute fill-in for me. And this is a kaiju author, G-fan contributor, and G-fest staple, Neil Reby, welcome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I thought I'd return the favor here. I suppose I owe you one after uh, you <laughs> filled in for me. <laughs> yes. Uh, you want to tell uh, real briefly uh, that story because it's actually kind of a fun story. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So I, I, I run a writer's panel called The Art of Kaiju Writing at G-Fest uh, every year. And well, one of my regular panelists that joins me is Skip Peel. You know, he's as I mentioned before, he's like one of the probably one of the best fan fiction writers out there, which is one of the reasons why I want to have him at the panel. Because he is a very good writer. He, he did all the Rex Summerall sort of stories and G fan. Then in recent years, there have been a lot of guests that are that were coming that he really wanted to to, to meet and he wanted to go to their panels. So he forewarned me. He says, "Well, Neil, if that panel that we're doing, the writer panel, overlaps with one of the panels of one of the guests, um, at the last minute, I, he said wasn't going to make it." You know, that was like a forewarning. And so here we are, you know, we're getting up to the point where, oh, well, our panel's about to start and Skip wasn't there. I thought, oh, dear, was this the situation where indeed, you know, he had a chance to go to a panel with one of the guests and he won't be able to make it. And so then I can't remember exactly now how this all kind of played out. But then I was asking about there's other writers. And, and, and Nathan, at that point, uh, you mentioned you've already in, in, introduced yourself as a writer. Yep. And so actually at this point you may want to take it because your, your memory yeah, is a little the, than mine is. Yeah. So this was G-Fest 2017. I came because I'm an author. I was an author before I was a podcaster. And so I wanted to see what the panel was like. Sitting in the front row, and I overheard you and the other panelists talking about this. So it's literally, I think, not even five minutes, like two minutes <laughs> before yeah, the yeah, panel. It was down to the start. wire. Yeah. It was like me and John LeMay. I think John LeMay was. Yes. Was, was John LeMay there? Yes. Yes, he was. Okay, he was there. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no. And so I overheard you guys saying that, and I wasn't being serious at all. And I overheard you you say that, and I just whipped up my phone, found the Amazon page with Destroyer, my novella, which if you haven't read it, you should go buy it right now on Amazon. I've read an excerpt on the show once. And I said, hey, look, I'm a published author, and I got a kaiju book, and you just took one look at it, and yep, <laughs> Travis brought his copy. <laughs> and you just said, get behind the table. And I freaked out a little bit because I'm thinking, what? You're going to throw me behind the table right now? Are you sure you want to do that? I'm running on maybe three or four hours of sleep and a lot of caffeine. And it's the middle of Saturday afternoon. And I think it's running out. <laughs> well, yeah, well, the stuff, the material you show me, it looked like you definitely were an experienced writer. And that's one thing I wanted on my panel are people who are experienced writers. Because well, as I see, a writer's panel is there for the attendees. It's not there for the panelists. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've been to writer's panels and I've been to writer's panels where the panelists are kind of there for their own benefit. And I thought, well, I'm a newbie writer here. I want to kind of learn from you and I'm not learning anything. So I thought if I run my own writer's panel, it's going to be there for these young, these new, because mm -hmm. that's what usually attends a writer's panel are new writers who are just looking for guidance. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted a panel that was there for them. And you did a fantastic job with that panel. You really showed you had your experience. You, you know, you've had your writing chops there. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think people learned a lot from you. So I was really appreciative. Yeah. And I was very appreciative that you allowed me to do that. That actually started my G-Fest panel career because I've, I've had a panel at G-Fest every year since. Obviously, not this year or last year because COVID land happened. Yeah. Well, then weren't, you were also at my more than one writer's panel, weren't you? Did they have you back another year? 
Yes. You had me on in 2018 and 2019, if I remember correctly. No, well, at least 2018. I know that for sure. Yeah, so let's see. Yeah, it was 2018. That's right. I think 2020 was the first year where G-Fest was canceled. So now mm-hmm. it's getting to the point where I don't remember when the last G-Fest I know, was. It's... Now we're going two years now with no G-Fest. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yes, Jimmy. We'll shut down the writer talk and save it for another episode. Maybe I should have Neil on for an interview when he publishes another book or something. And so I was very lucky to find out once my previous guest was suddenly unavailable. I found out by happenstance, you made a little trip here to the island. So I'm like, you know what? I haven't talked to Neil in a while. So let's see if I can get him on the show. <laughs> I mean, stay away from the teleporter, Neil. Yes. Yeah. We, we locked the teleporter away. Yeah, the, the weird things happen with the teleporter. Trust me. We both know. <laughs> Travis and I both know. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's very nutty, but I'm glad that you're here. Maybe I should you know, make some arrangements for you. you know, maybe you could throw a writer's panel here while you're making your trip. That'd sure. be fun. Yeah. Yeah, we'll run it together. That'll be good. There's a lot of kaiju that are wanting to start writing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure several of them want to do memoirs at this point. And also, some of them probably need ghostwriters because they don't have fingers. Poor Gigan, he can't write a thing, you know, unless he's going to figure out how yeah. to dip his claw in blood and then write it that would be awkward (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was going to try to come up with a fun pun for a kaiju memoir but nothing was coming to my mind fast enough so we can move on (laughs) yes we can move on because today we will be continuing the year of But I'm going to be honest with you, the fun's starting to wear out. I've had a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome with the last couple of Gamera movies, but as of this one, yeah, it's run out. I'm sorry. I don't have enough <laughs> craps to give for this, especially with all the behind-the-scenes drama that has been going on with this episode. I suddenly am far less interested in a movie about a giant flying fire-breathing turtle fighting a space shark. Because, yes, it's Gamera versus Zigra, or Zigra. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I'm not 100% sure how to say it. <sighs> yeah. So, this should be interesting. Sure, Jimmy, if you can find it, randomly play the Jaws theme someplace. I don't care. <sighs> yeah uh not a lot of fun to be had in this one for me (laughs) i know uh you actually told me when i sent you the invite you said this is not my first choice to talk about show a camera and i said i'm sorry but i got to fill the slot (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, I like a lot of Showa Gamera films, probably more than what your average person does, but Zigra <laughs> is not one of them that I like. Yeah. I even prefer Super Monster over this one. Oh, oh that's <laughs> oh. the one I'm really not looking forward to. Basically, <laughs> yeah. the next couple, and gentlemen. Super Monster's fun. Uh, this one and the next one. Uh, I'm really only doing this because I don't feel like getting shot into space like Joel from MSD3K. So, 
Yeah. Well, if you can't find anyone who wants to pitch in for Super Monster, I'll, I'll pinch in for that one too. Oh, no, I've got someone slotted for that one, and he's okay. weirdly enthusiastic about it. Well, mention it at the end of the episode, which will be after the, unless I wanted to talk about environmentalism, which I've already talked about in a previous episode. I believe it was the Rebirth of Mothra 2 episode. There's really only one thing to talk about with this movie, and that is Kamigawa SeaWorld. So that will be our toku topic for today, because this entire film is basically a glorified commercial for Kamigawa SeaWorld. Not a very good one, though. Yeah. Like, they don't really show a lot of it, and also they show a dolphin that died and is being dissected. Like, that's not a very good yeah. promotion of your sea world. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy, save the bikini girl talk for later. All right? <sighs> All right. So, in the meantime, while we scurry off to the screening room to watch the movie... You listeners will be regaled with Jimmy's entertaining info dump because I am contractually obligated to read it. Gamera, again, is the heroic friend to all children and Earth's protector. He spends most of the movie battling Zikra to protect Kenichi and Helen and to prevent the alien shark from enslaving and or eating humanity. The hungry and malevolent Zigra is a shark-like alien kaiju seeking to conquer Earth because it's similar to his own planet. As previously mentioned, he seeks to enslave and or eat humanity, depending on his mood, it seems. The Kennys in this movie are, no joke, the precocious and defiant Kenichi Ishikawa and his friend Helen Wallace. They somehow manage to outwit Zigra and his minion throughout the movie to save their fathers while also advising the adults on a course of action. Chikaku Sugawara, aka Woman X, is a brilliant and beautiful geologist kidnapped and hypnotized by Zigra as his minion. Unfortunately, she's both arrogant and incompetent under his power, unable to capture a pair of kids. The intelligent and caring Yosuke Ishikawa and Tom Wallace are Kenichi and Helen's fathers, respectively, who investigate ocean pollution, and after spending most of the movie in a coma at the snap of Woman X's finger, attempt to awaken Gamera by diving underwater in a bathysphere. Like the past several Gamera movies, the human and kaiju plotlines are at first separate, but they quickly unify and are intertwined for the remainder of the story. Zigra is clearly the problem. Defense Force jets attack Zigra's spaceship, but they are destroyed by the vessel's lasers. Gamera assaults the ship underwater, destroying it, but Zigra emerges and grows larger. He all but kills Gamera with his cell activity suspension beam, trademark. The kids stow away with their fathers on the bathysphere to revive Gamera, but Zigra catches them and threatens to kill them, so the UN commander reluctantly agrees to surrender. Gamera is revived by lightning and sneaks away with the bathysphere while Zigra is sleeping. The problem is solved when Gamera fights Zigra again on land. After a battle where Gamera jams a boulder in Zigra's nose and plays his theme song on the alien shark's back like a xylophone, Gamera kills Zigra by burning him alive with his flame breath. Series screenwriter Nissan Takahashi crafted another simple, perhaps too simple, story in this script. Many plot elements are unexplained or underdeveloped, prompting a host of questions that undermine the story. 
The movie's budget was supposedly 35 million yen, or around $97,000, which was the same as Gamera vs. Jiger the previous year, but this figure was likely part of Daae's cooking the books. The studio was almost bankrupt, and this movie is clear evidence of that. In fact, Daae and Nakatsu had to merge to form Dainichi just to release this movie. Aside from the moon base and the model set of Kamigawa SeaWorld, which the resort barred the filmmakers from destroying, there are few miniatures. The underwater scenes are unconvincing. The spaceship set is weirdly minimalistic. Gamera's defeat of Zigra is painfully straightforward, set him on fire, compared to how he killed his previous foes. The movie was filmed almost guerrilla style. The final product is a film gasping for life as its industry crumbles around it. The movie has a light, almost childish, in the worst way, tone, and an almost offensive lack of gravitas, especially with its nonchalant attitude toward the death and destruction caused by Zigra's earthquakes. With its flying turtles, telepathic alien sharks, and insanely dumb adults and smart kids, it's a fantasy film. To put it simply, this is anything but an experimental film. This movie reinforces the style of Gamera vs. Virus, but unlike that little docudrama about Jimmy's childhood, this is a watered-down clone of that movie. The story, characters, and production values are nowhere near as good. The movie was made to continue to capitalize on the success of the Gamera franchise, but without the resources afforded to them by AIP-TV. As usual, it was meant to entertain an increasingly younger child audience, with a little sex appeal thrown in for the fathers taking their kids to the theater. Box office figures are unavailable. Given that it was released July 17, 1971 on double bill with 1958's Susanosuke Akato, The Birdman and the Three Eyes, just after the Japanese film crash and at a time when kaiju films were waning in popularity, it's likely the movie was a flop. Regardless of how it did, a planned sequel, Gamera vs. the Two-Headed Monster W or Gamera vs. Garasharp were canceled. It wasn't released in any form in the United States until it was distributed on VHS by Sandy Frank Film Syndication in 1987, who commissioned a new English dub for it. It was this version that was riffed twice on Mystery Science Theater 3000 several years later, once on KTMA and again on Comedy Central. It has a 3.5 score with over 1,400 ratings on IMDb and isn't generally liked by kaiju fans. Although it has some appreciation among Misties, it isn't considered to be the best of the Gamera episodes on that show. Aside from alternate English titles and credits, the dub version is unchanged. There aren't many forces at play. Kenichi and Helen's cleverness frequently conflicts with the surprisingly dumb adults. Zigra's imperialism and ravenousness clashes with humanity's right to freedom and existence. He sees them as polluters of the ocean. Honestly, he's racist. He steals the free will of Woman X and uses her as a pawn. The UN briefly kowtows to Zigra when faced with a choice of saving a few or the many. That's about it. A few themes can be mined from this movie. Zigra's arrogance and hatred are presented as negative. Mind control is decried. Kenichi and Helen's innocence and cleverness help save the day. Gamera is heroic and self-sacrificial. Most prominently, the movie reminds its child audience to take care of the environment. <sighs> with my contractual obligations fulfilled, let's plow through this movie with some Toku Talk. 
All right, gentlemen. One of the things that I neglected to mention when we started is this is currently, because it was just announced that there would be more Gamma on MST3K. Jiger is going to be on MST3K in their next season, which just got fully funded on Kickstarter. This was, at the time, the last of the Gamera films to be on MST3K, and as mandated by my Orwellian overlords, you guys, as my guests, get to watch the MST3K, and I did not. I had to watch the original movie. So, coming out of the screening room, how are you feeling about this? I'm sure you had more fun than I did. Actually, I prefer the original over the MST3K version. Really? Oh my gosh! Yes, Jimmy, the hottest of takes we have had in a while on this show. Please, Neil, I must know. Oh, okay, I must well, know. What's probably, you know, see, one thing that, that really hurts Gamma versus Zegra, you know, is because of their, their budget problems, you know, almost all the action happens off camera, like all those great earthquakes that they mentioned, which means you have very little special effects footage actually watching Gamma versus Zegra. But then MST3K takes only one step further and they remove two more major special effects shots out of that movie. So therefore, all you're watching is Kenny and Helen. Oh. You know, the worst aspect of the whole, I, 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 I hate to say that because these are two kids, it's not their fault, you know, for being there, but they were not star material. Well, and, and hilariously, we have... In the actual Japanese version, the kid is actually named Kenny, but the term was invented because of the dub. <laughs> yeah. Because in the original Gamera movie, is... Toshio had his name changed to Kenny, and that's where the, it came from. Yeah, the kid's actual name is Kenichi Ishikawa, mm -hmm. the, the character name that is. And so anyway, yeah, so the MST3K removed the scene where Gamera sneaks away with the bathosphere, rescues the two dads and the two kids from Ziggra. They took that away. And then they also took away the scene where the Jets attacked Zigra. And that actually was not a too bad of a scene, as long as you keep the context of what they're working with for a budget. It was not too bad of a scene. They had some really good stock footage of the planes. And the film texture matched the original movie pretty well. So it all kind of blended together pretty nicely. And then when they did show the miniature planes, actually some of the choreography of those planes was actually rather nice when they're kind of crisscrossing each other and getting mm -hmm. blown out of the air. And so that was actually a fairly nice clip. And they took that out. And so, as I said, you know, they took out so, you know one of the best special effects scenes and they took out another Gamma versus Zegra sequence. So, so it's almost like you got like this extra dose, like I said, of, of Kenny and Helen. And as I said, though, they were just too young to carry a movie. I don't know. Uh, most what was of the thinking behind that? No, they want to have these movies aimed at kids. But yet the girl that plays Helen, I mean, you know, she was not an actor. Like some random kid that just got set in front of the camera and said, okay, smile for the cameraman there. And, and that's what all she did. And it's like, that's not, yeah, that's not how you run a movie. Yeah. You said you don't blame these kids because uh, obviously they're just kids. I blame the kids. Um, I have, I have <laughs> wow. no issues with blaming the kids. These kids are awful. And that is saying something for well, a series of the Gamera films. You know what's kind of funny? This opened... I think within a week of Godzilla versus Hedera opened, yes. which also has a heavy-handed environmental message and also had a boy named Ken. Well, there is a good reason why you have the heavy-handed environmental message. If, if you know, kind of get this, it gets on the context, like why wasn't Gamera versus Guren? Did they always had that stuff about the car accidents? Again, that was a, oh. a reaction to what was going on socially. Oh yeah, so, trust me. I, I researched that, so I know. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so getting back to the Zigra, so... 
you know, because in 1971, that was like the, the second monster boom. That's when Ziegler came out. And so you almost everything that came out in 71 had for Kaiju had an environmental theme. You had Spectre Man, environmental theme. Uh, Hedra, Godzilla versus Hedra, the environmental theme. The Return of Ultraman, like the, the one of their first set episodes, they had their own, you know, sort of Hedra sludge monster. So everyone was, was doing it in 1971. Now, what's going on around that time is prior, after World War II, you had factories that were dumping a lot of methyl mercury into the oceans. And mm-hmm. so you had these different dis- people who were actually were getting sick. And it took a few years for people to figure out, trace where these diseases were coming from. And when they found out it was these factories that were dumping sulfur oxide in the atmosphere, methyl mercury in, in the water. And so people were consuming it through their seafood. And so lawsuits ensued in the late 60s. Then there was an organization that was started in 1969. The Consumers Union of Japan, that was set up to deal with the health problems. Then in 1970, the National Diet had a session where they passed 14 anti-pollution laws. Then in 1971, there was the Ministry of the Environment was set up. So when Gamma versus Zika was being produced, it was right in the middle of this watershed moment where, where Japan as people and as a government came to grips with pollution. So that was a huge topic. And, and, and then you figure when people were dying from pollution, like in the States, you know, you think of pollution was kind of handled as like, well, okay, it's making our parks look messy, but no one was dying. Whereas Japan, people were dying from pollution. And mm-hmm. that's probably the reason why their movies were so heavy handed, because there was actual casualties to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I, that, that's kind of like context. Like, like, like kind of like, Okay, you know, in the West, Zegra and Hedra goes over the top. I'm always kind of, I want to defend those two movies and say, you have to look at what's going on in the country at the time. There was a very good reason why they were being that way. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I'm glad you actually brought all of that up. That is the sort of stuff that we talk about here on the Monster Island Film Vault. So I'm glad that you set the stage for that. And actually, I don't know if either of you guys have the Arrow Blu-ray sets, but the commentary for this film was done by Sean Rhodes and Brooke McCorkle, who are actually authors of a book that I've referenced a few times here on the podcast called Japan's Green Monsters. And they talked about this movie in the context of all the environmental stuff that was going on. In fact, they make the argument that Zegra evolving throughout the film was supposed to be, I think this is stretching a little bit, was supposed to be representative of the evolving threat to the environment going on in Japan. But they, like many many an academic, love to reach. And I think that was a little bit of a reach. I would agree with you. That was a reach. Yeah, that one's a reach. (laughs) It's a big reach, I would say. But yeah, they also talked about how Tokyo Bay was so polluted and riddled with bacteria that fishermen couldn't eat the fish that they caught. And the swimming events at the Olympics that had been held a few years before that had to be rescheduled to early in the morning when it would be less contaminated. (laughs) Yeah, this is some of the stuff that they brought up. And actually, yeah. it's also why, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in the next segment, they were showcasing SeaWorld because not only had it just opened, but they wanted to showcase that this was an organization, a park that was all about taking care of wildlife and the environment. So it played in very nicely with what they were doing. Now, for me, I, being a guest on this podcast, I don't know why I'm here because uh, I did not do nearly as much research as Neil has. Um, but, but uh, it's totally okay. <laughs> coming in at coming at it from a mystery science theater fan, this isn't my favorite mystery science theater three thousand episode. This isn't my favorite Gamera uh, mystery science 
Gear 3000. My favorite is Gueron. I think a lot of people's favorite is Gueron. It has some of the most quotable lines. It's also where the theme song came from. Mm -hmm. But this episode did have something that few other Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes did have. And that was a cameo from Mike. Michael uh, um, Nelson, who is my favorite of the hosts of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I am so a Mike nice fan as well. So, <laughs> Yes, Mike, Jimmy, I Mike. know you're a Joel guy, but whatever. <laughs> Yet another Mike, thing for us Kevin to butt heads over. and Bill are always my mystery science theater 3000 trio they're they're my favorite <laughs> yeah the unfortunately it has been so long and since i've seen that episode in this movie so i don't know just washing over me at this point that i only remember one of the jokes from the episode and that's when the kids meet the weirdo old guy who according to my research is supposed to be a reference to a japanese folktale <laughs> Uh, all I remember is when he appeared, I heard one of the bots say, it's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reference to Terry Gilliam, because he played the weird old guy who would start almost every episode. And he would just run up to the camera at some point and say, it's... And then the show would start. <laughs> well, and then that's confusing, because depending on the dub or the sub... The year he gives is different because those that was such a weird thing. Again, I think it goes back to this being a folklore reference. But the kids think that they have time traveled at that point in the movie. And the old man kind of messes with them a little bit. And I think he says something about they were at the end of the 20th century or something like that. And then he finally just after they believed him for a minute with that, he's oh, no, it's just it's 1971. But if you watch the MST3K and listen to the dub because it got dubbed in 1980. They said 1985. Yeah, that's a little bit confusing. Although it's interesting to see how quickly things escalated or advanced, I should say, considering they said this was in the second half of the 20th century and we had a moon base. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the moon is a silly place. Of course. Yeah, the moon is a silly place. You would know. <laughs> so they don't really talk about the moon base anymore for the rest of the uh, movie. Yeah, you would uh, think other that than would the be fact a big that deal. The, the characters is from it. Yeah, you, you would yeah. think that's a, it's a really big deal. And I will admit, it's technically foreshadowing something, but it's not. Well, okay. I guess it's foreshadowing it better than you would think. But basically, it's just we just see a rover get teleported away, and that's it. And then we find out later that there was a reason they showed you that, because somebody got kidnapped from there, but that was not very clearly communicated. It's like everything right. else. Yeah. Also, oh, they were, clearly threw... Mo it's going to foreshadow X from the... Woman X. No, well, I was going to say X from outer space. I thought you were... Oh. It's foreshadowing this other movie. Yes. <laughs> Except this was after, so it's not really foreshadowing. I know. Which made it even funnier. I know. <laughs> but clearly, most of this movie's budget went to that moon base set because I will confess, it looked pretty snazzy. It's just only in the movie for yeah. about a minute. <laughs> well, here's the thing that's true that, that based on like some of the War of Your Belief for online sources, I guess that budget for that movie was the same as for the previous movie, Gamma versus Jagger. But I guess there were some irregularities going on with the money behind the scenes at the company and so you're, you're kind of left to put two two together maybe some of that budget i don't know maybe some illegal things are going on so not all of it went to the film may have gone to someplace else and that's why it looks as cheesy as it did 
But yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's just something that I'm yeah. kind of curious to find out what, what really went on with that. Because right after that, Dai went bankrupt. And they were going to do another Gamera movie, but then the company went Yeah, uh, I found a couple... I'm a little bit confused on what they were supposed to be because I saw a couple different ones. One, I think, was supposed to be something like... Oh, Gar Sharp, I think it's called. Yeah, Gar Sharp was another one that I saw. And, you know, they at least got started on pre-production on that because there's a little bit of footage, you know, some uh, B-roll footage that they have from it, at least that I've seen. So there's that, which would have involved basically a giant cobra. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but while we're yeah. at it, uh, do okay, we? Okay, now I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, but while we're at it, do we want to talk about Ziggra's ship, which looks like the Statue of Liberty's crown filled with Skittles? <laughs> yeah, or tricks like gumballs. Yeah, gumballs, tricks. I don't it just <laughs> the so, first. So I will say though, I do like the ship's interior. It's very cheesy sci-fi, which is always fun, mm -hmm. but also the having the like looming mummified zigra <laughs> up above with the cobwebs. Like, cobwebs for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of cool though. I like that. I like that. It was yeah. kind of cool. I'm just confused as to how big Ziggra is supposed to be and how he fits in that ship. And I, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's like does he have a yeah. well what a i forget what it's called in inconsistencies yeah yeah well yeah, yeah we're gonna be here all day if we're gonna talk about it's inconsistencies but i just think it's like a compression I mean, field from dr legs at some point yeah uh, yeah and then it just explodes oh, he i should say just explodes from <laughs> the ship and he's the same size as the ship and uh, just okay you just go with uh -huh. it you know as far as i know that Zigra is why the other guy who was originally scheduled to be here instead of you, Neil, it's probably why he's not here. Spiderus, I think was his name. If I got your name wrong, man, I'm sorry. On Twitter actually said, oh, I bet it, yeah, the other guy got kidnapped by Zigra. <laughs> it would make sense because that's what happened with Woman X because I will be honest with you, the first time I saw this movie, I didn't know that Woman X was not an alien. So there was our Shyamalan twist in this, you know, that was barely foreshadowed. Well, it makes sense because, I mean, we've had women aliens in previous Gamera movies. Oh, yeah. Flo Bella and Barbella? Alien. Yeah. They look like Earth women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know so all it's about like them. It's, it's, it, there's precedence. <laughs> yeah, I know all about them. They decided to pay the island a visit. Hmm. <laughs> uh, hopefully woman X won't suddenly show up, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, I thought she was another alien Shyamalan twist. She's not, but the thing that's a tiny bit confusing is apparently Ziggra can mind control people, but apparently these people completely forget everything that they knew before the mind control <laughs> because woman X doesn't realize until she leaves the ship that she needs to get a disguise because her little Star Trek TOS body-hugging costume is not going to work. And then we get to apparently Jimmy's favorite part and quite possibly the most infamous part of this whole movie that the first time I watched it, I said, really, guys, we're doing this? We're doing this. Congratulations, you're an exploitation film for children. <laughs> she yeah. goes to a beach runs into a trio of young women. They're just enjoying the beach, wearing bikinis, and she uses her little, 
you know, snap your finger, snap your neck. Well, not snap your neck, but Demon Hunter reference. You know, she can snap her finger and make people pass out because she used it on the kids' dads earlier in the movie. And we find out that actually her power only works if she's making eye contact. So the kids are like, don't look at her. Don't look at her. She's Medusa. So, <laughs> and so she uses it on these young women. And then the next time we see her, she's running down the town streets wearing a bikini. And all I'm sitting here thinking besides the congratulations, exploitation for, for children is what happened to those poor girls on the beach there is a nude woman lying on the beach unconscious right now why is nobody talking about this oh my gosh the shock that that poor woman had when she woke up greece it works for japan too yeah well you also was having a john nathan turner moment you remember john nathan turner oh yeah doctor who because like you know he always had the his his actresses and the short skirts and stuff and he said that was for the dads well, mm-hmm. uh, the, on the uh, Japanese mm-hmm. page for Zegra, there's a quote from Yuasa. It's almost exactly the same as John Nathan's Turner. You know, like, well, why were we doing the bikini thing? Well, it was for the dads. Yeah. yeah. And McCorkle and Brooks that I mentioned earlier, they actually had a little bit to say about that. And uh, they talked about, you know, it's there for the dads. And they also said that part of that was this was a character archetype they called the temptress. They just they got put into movies like this for that reason. <laughs> and they likened Flobella and Barbella to that as well. Okay, but you know, at least they weren't parading around in a swimsuit. Now, yeah. I should mention I it as more of like it's the seventies. I mean, the sexual awakening is happening across the <laughs> across not just America but overseas, and so yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I mean, found compared to other movies at the time, that's pretty tame just to have a girl in a swimsuit. Well, you know? yeah, especially when. That actress, I forget her name, put her in your oh. blog, Jimmy. She got cast in this role because of her experience, shall we say? She had made a name for herself being in pink films. Yeah, we I talked about on the last episode of my podcast, just in reference, because somebody gave us a message of Debbie Does Dallas. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this movie is very tame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> And then hilariously, it's it kind of turns into Jessica Beale. I think it's Jessica Beale, or is it Jessica Alba? I get them mixed up. But played Sue Richards, Sue Storm, I should say, in the Fantastic Four movie. Alba, Alba, Alba. And I'm like, you cast her because she's good looking. I'm having a little bit of trouble believing that she's a scientist. And they do the same thing here. We find out that Space Babe was in the rover that got teleported away. And she's, I think they said she's what, a geologist or something like that. So she's supposed to be this brilliant woman. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, in the Japanese version, right. she was a geologist. And then the Sandy Frank version, she was a pilot. But you have to remember, like, well, then you go back to some of the, the Toho ones, like Kumi Mizuno, you know, she played scientist characters, you know, like in the Gargantua movies and Frankenstein Conquers the World, you know. And yeah, I guess it so just. There is, there is a precedent for having a. Oh, uh, there is. There is. I, I guess it's just. Kumi Mizuno, when she's playing a scientist, she wasn't told to parade around in a bikini the whole time. Now, Matango, she wore a bikini, but she was supposed to be a lounge singer. So she was supposed to be sultry. (laughs) Yes, Jimmy, you and your Kumi Mizuno crush. You had something, Uh, Travis? Fun fact about Jessica Alba, she is from my home state. Oh, well, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Sue Storm is from your home state. 
But I do have to stand corrected. Jimmy had to remind me of this when I screened the movie. I've been saying in the last couple of episodes that this woman paraded around for 15, 20 minutes in this bikini, and apparently I had misremembered. It just felt that long because this is Gamera versus Zigra. <laughs> it was actually only about five minutes. But I'm still yeah. trying to figure out. The argument could be made. I think it's a flimsy argument. But the argument could be made that what she did is actually brilliant. Because I mentioned before, her power only works when she's making eye contact. If you're walking around in a swimsuit, a bikini, and you're anywhere but the beach, you're going to be the center of attention. And then yeah, what does she I do? I think a lot of people are staring at her eyes. Yeah, well, yeah, true. But still, people are looking at her and she can... Snap her finger and use her power. But then she decided to pull the same number. And then she mugged a SeaWorld employee and traded in her bikini for an orange miniskirt you know, and a nice blouse and high heels that she tries to chase the children around in and then realized that chasing children in high heels is not the best idea ever. I don't know why it never occurred to her to lose the shoes. But we have to get our Scooby-Doo shenanigans children in there. in high heels is impossible, but running from a T-Rex is. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. This is also true. <sighs> yeah, and apparently, for what I heard, that happened because they ran out of money. They were going to have another kaiju sequence, but like, we have no money. Make the hot chick chase the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's make this an episode of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, basically. And oh, and well, while yeah, we're at it, it was pretty good. Oh, well, yeah. And then it's also like, and while we're at it, we can give everybody a tour of Kamigawa SeaWorld. <laughs> yep. Not a very good tour, but it's a tour. I don't understand the chase sequence because they change locations very quickly through the power of jump cuts. So I'm like, I don't know how literal to take this. <laughs> because if I'm taking it literally, they teleport from one location to another. And if I don't take it literally, this chase is going on for a very long time. I think Zigra needs to invest in better henchmen and women. What a hench people because <laughs> she can't I mean, even capture fair. children. <laughs> And she to starts be fair, off being all menacing, saying, we're going to make earthquakes. <laughs> they should invest in more henchmen <laughs> than just the one that they have. Yeah. In alien invasion, you're going to use one person to conquer the whole world. Right. Well, they need to make that chase seem more realistic. They need a better protagonist, for one thing. I mean, <laughs> having those get, get back to the two little kids, that is like the, the Achilles heels of that movie because you have to dumb everyone down so those kids can outwit everybody and mm -hmm. survive. Yeah, well, they probably should have had you in the movie then because uh, <laughs> these two kids that they had, they were just not believable. I mean, the best kid pair they had for these Gamera movies was Carl Craig Jr. and the other boy in Gamera vs. Yeah, Virus. Now, yeah, yeah. Masao and Jim. <laughs> now, they would have hired two kids like them. I can believe that the space woman you know, couldn't catch up with them because they were old enough to outrun her. <laughs> well, well, you know. But yeah. we got these this little these two little five year olds, even with the high heels, she should have caught them. And yeah, because that, she, they're literally slowing down to give them a head start so she didn't like run them over. Yeah, you know? it's just uh, the whole thing. Mm. I, I'm just saying yeah, that's I think that's one of the things with this movie, though, is because the Gamera Showa era movies have always been geared towards children. And so they've always had child protagonists. But this is probably the youngest of the kids that we've had. 
especially with the girl in this. So this is the youngest. And I think that they were kind of like leaning even younger than they typically lean. Then they still had to do the thing where the kids are smarter than the adults. But because you're picking kids so young, you had to make the adults even dumber. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just kind of look at this, the, 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 the dynamics of how the actress, how she behaved when she was supposed to confront the kids. And said they dumped her way down. But then when she faced the adults, then she was a legitimate menace. So she's like portraying two different mm-hmm. characters at the same time being the dumb Scooby-Doo villain and then a legitimate menace at the same time because you're dealing with two different age brackets. Well, yeah, that's why I was actually getting to that a little bit. We're introduced to Woman X as actually kind of the scary character. She's yeah. all like, we are going to cause earthquakes and we are going to destroy all your things. And by the way, am I the only one who feels, I think Luke Giaconetti actually brought this up in his episode of Earth Destruction Directive about this movie. Am I the only one who feels like this movie treats these massive earthquakes in Tokyo and the rest of the world a little too nonchalantly because they're saying like, these are like magnitude 10 plus earthquakes and things are being destroyed. And I'm like, I get it. You don't have the budget to show it. But why is everybody just treating this like, I don't know, a traffic jam at five o'clock during rush hour? I just, I don't well, understand. Well, the dads tried, the actors for the dads, you know, when they, when they initially did the saucer, tried to react as though something terrible was going on, you know, although they were kind of left hanging because we never actually saw anything terrible actually go on. Yeah, that's the other thing. They're saying all these terrible things are happening, but it's just, we're just told this. We're not shown it. We're not seeing the destruction. We're not even really, we barely even see any of the aftermath. And again, everyone is reacting nonchalantly to it. So I'm sorry, the threat of Zigra doesn't have a whole lot of weight when the movie doesn't even care. And then Zigra is not smart enough to hire proper henchmen. No, uh, also, I wonder what Ziggra's plan actually was, because it <laughs> seemed to shift a lot in the movie. It I, went from, no, we don't want to hurt anybody. We just want to enslave them to, oh, we're going to eat them to, oh, we're just going to blow up this tanker uh, ship that's just floating along in the ocean. <laughs> well, and actually, the, I don't think not only is he inconsistent with his evil plan, Ultimately, the plan that he settles on, I don't think is sustainable because he says that normally the land creatures eat the sea creatures. Well, we are sea creatures and we're going to eat the land creatures. Okay, this movie actually spells out because apparently we have to educate the children on science that the earth is covered 70% with water, which means 30% is land. Right. Zigra seems to think that... He can rule the oceans and use the land creatures for food. 70% eating 30%. I don't think this is sustainable. (laughs) But look at me. I am asking for logic and consistency in Gamera versus Zegra. (laughs) At least the enslavement (laughs) plot made some sort of sense. Yeah. Good Lord. Oh, and I still have Super Monster after this. Oh. <laughs> I'm telling you, this must be some sort of plot by the board to break me. My voice is cracking. I'm going through puberty again or something. But oh, that's what this movie does to me. Let me ask you, 
Do you have a favorite joke from the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of this? Of this one? Yeah, none of the jokes are, and then this one really stand out for me. Like, the only thing I, that I remember that was pretty funny is when they had the Zegra woman, where she's kind of like walking menacing forward, and I think it was Joel, not Joel, but um, Tom Sorrow was making creaking noises. Oh. Of her legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After you do gear on, it's hard to top gear on in terms of MST3K. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. A lot of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode seemed to be just kind of rehashing a lot of what they had already done with We're On, because they do repeat a few jokes, and they also have the theme song, the Gamera theme song, done and reprise it a couple of times in this. So it's like, yeah, it just seems like they're redoing a lot of their same jokes. That's why I don't like this one as much. But there was a joke that legitimately had me rolling and that was early on when they're talking about the sea world. And I think it was Tom Servo who says sushi lovers can get their food straight from the source. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I, it's been too long. Did they talk about some of the uh, or maybe they cut it out? I don't know. But some of the uh, maybe the dub left it out. I don't remember. But some of the goofier childish things like the kids arguing over who has the prettiest mom or their dad or their dad's yep. passing gas. Yep. That's all there. And they even reference it in the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version because in the midway point when they cut back to Joel and them on the Satellite of Love, they actually have a, a skit where Gamera bumps into the Satellite of Love and they actually talk to the two kids who are riding on the back of Gamera, one of them played by Mike Nelson. And the kids are saying lines from Zigra, including, Gamera is my boyfriend. Oh, good Lord. Again, I've also got to do the, the sort of the, the bad dubbing because they keep moving their mouths even when they're done talking. Oh, uh, yeah, it's one of yeah. those dubs. Uh, did they use the painfully obvious joke? Because this film series is mildly obsessed now with submarines, particularly yellow ones. We all live in a yellow bathosphere, a yellow bathosphere. I, I really only did that for the memes. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I need to make the jokes to get through this. It's kind of, I really am starting to feel like Joel at this point. Hmm. We have to talk about, honestly, probably the most infamous scene in the movie the xylophone scene, which oh, honestly, yes. uh, which honestly might be the moment, folks, when Gamera jumps the shark the shark i was waiting for it i regret yes. nothing play that sad trombone all you want jimmy i regret nothing I was where's the funds when you need him and there's, oh, I have so man. many questions yeah. about that because he plays his theme song. So Gamera magically knows his theme song on Zigra, uh -huh. who somehow sounds like a xylophone. So now I have to ask questions like, is this diegetic? Does this technically break the fourth wall? <laughs> is this Gamera tapping into his uh -huh. inner Deadpool? <laughs> is he gonna start a band <laughs> i mean there's already a band that apparently is getting oh, booked man. to appear on the island they're called nezra and the baby gameras so i mean did he help start it is that how this works i have so many questions 
I'm falling apart, guys. Camera crossing over with Deadpool would be just. I mean, can I just say on the route, the way things are going, can imagine that they did indeed got a chance to make Gamma versus Garmer Shop for 1972. Imagine what happened there. Oh, man. I would have been curious to see what would have happened, but unfortunately, Daye was in dire straits financially, and uh, they went under. That'll be more of a topic for a later episode, but just to let you know what was going on at this point, you want to talk about bad because of the film crash in 1970 and a bunch of mismanagement and all of that sort of stuff. They were on the brink of bankruptcy at this point. Stress levels were high. Director Yuasa went from being a Daye employee to a freelancer even though he's still working on this, one crew member, no joke, dropped dead from a cerebral hemorrhage. He was under so much stress. And the head of the studio, Masaichi Nagata, was hospitalized for high blood pressure, and nobody could collect overtime. Oh, feels like my life right now. <sighs> so there you go. Imagine making this movie under those conditions. In that regard, they have my sympathy. Just imagine working for a company in an industry that's collapsing around you while you're still trying to make ends meet. <clears throat> My day job is working for a newspaper company. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we've all uh, dealt with that. I, I, I've worked as a journalist, I know. Oh, and we also have to talk about, as podcasters, Travis, we need to talk about another kind of infamous part of this movie, how they figure out how to cure Woman X's victims. I will demonstrate. Uh, 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 and there. Anybody That's listening to this, if this you were mind controlled. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So now everybody who's listening to this, if you were mind controlled by Zigra, you are now free. <laughs> it was such a weird, weird scene. Weird. Oh, just, I and they know. tried, they tried this to science is- it up. They tried really hard to science it up. And it, it sounds like bullcrap to me. Maybe Jimmy will tell me otherwise in his follow-up blog to this episode, but it just seems like BS to me. And then there's a bit of science. I am no marine biologist, but I know they got some of their sciencing wrong because they talked about dolphins being blind, which is why they have echolocation. <laughs> that is bullcrap. Dolphins actually can see. In fact, some species of dolphins have very good eyesight. So shut it, Gamera versus Zigra. Did you write did, did they write the script in five minutes? I think they wrote the script in five minutes. And then, and then we have the part we did we did the virus yeah. thing again where we're going to surrender the entire world to save a couple of people. And they're also assuming that Zigra will not kill everybody because apparently one of Zigra's weaknesses is bright lights, which makes no sense because he can come out in broad daylight, but okay. Yeah. And I just found myself screaming at the screen when this is happening. You have missed rule number one of being the hero. Never under any circumstances trust the bad guy. (laughs) Come on. Right. Why? But, But they were stuck in the thing that was sinking and filling with water. And the little girl needed her Coke. I guess so. <laughs> this the dub on this. I don't know if it is in the Japanese version because I, I haven't seen the Japanese version. But the dub 
they reference Coca-Cola more times than they do the Sea World. <laughs> uh, that's saying a lot. But it, actually, if you know a little bit of the Japanese context, there's product tie-ins actually in several places in this movie. The baseball cap that Ken, Kenny whatever Kenichi what that he was wearing that was a real baseball team and apparently they were sponsoring <laughs> the movie <laughs> so they got it in there and they nice. were a popular baseball team I'm trying I'm combing through my notes to make sure I find the name of the baseball team so you guys can vamp for a little bit oh here it is Yomiri Giants yep paid sponsorship for the movie to have the kid wear a hat with their logo so there you go that's not the ones that are cursed by the colonel is it I don't know <laughs> Do you know that story? I don't. Sure. Tell us. What's the okay, story? So this is my Toku talk moment. <laughs> there um, you go. <laughs> it has nothing, nothing at all to do with Tokusatsu, but there is a baseball team in Japan and I'm not a baseball, a Japanese baseball fan. So I don't, I can't remember which team it is, but they stole the, or some fans, some fans of them stole the big fiberglass Colonel Sanders that was in front of a KFC and threw it into the river. Well, ever since then, they have lost all of the major games that they've played and have never made it into their into the finals or anything like that. And so they say the curse will never be broken until they return the fiberglass colonel from the and they've dredged and found parts of him, but never been able to find the whole thing. And so the curse of the colonel continues on this baseball team. This sounds eerily similar to the curse of the goat with the Chicago Cubs. Yes. Yes. Very similar to the curse of the goat. And everybody has tried breaking it in so many ways and it can't seem to break it. Although the curse of the goat did kind of break. No, they won a world series. Yeah. And back to the future was just off by one year. Right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, that concludes my Toku talk. Yes. <laughs> in which oh, case, <laughs> this would be a perfect time, even though I've got a few other notes in here that I could talk about. Like, Zigra's name comes from Kujira, which means whale. So it's something right. that it's actually a shot at Godzilla because Jigra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a lot of interesting right, because, facts. Because Godzilla is mm-hmm. Gorilla and Kujira. Mm hmm. Yeah. As usual, I over prepare for these episodes, but this is why Jimmy writes his blogs. So with that mini Toku talk from Travis, we will move into my Toku topic. Hi, this is Eric Anderson from Nerd Chapel. Nerd Chapel is all about bridging the gap between nerd culture and the church. This is done by an online and social media presence, a physical presence at comic, anime, and gaming conventions, and with tabletop game nights in Spring Lake, Michigan. I've also co-written two devotionals for Nerds and Geeks with Nathan Marchand, 42 Discovering Faith or Fandom, and the new 42 God Terraforms All Things. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and please explore the website nerdchapel.com for more information. All right, gentlemen, as I promised, today's Toku topic is going to be over Kamigawa's Sea World because that's really about the only thing we could talk about it. What do you guys know about Kamigawa's Sea World? Nothing at all. Other than what you saw in the movie, right? Yep. <laughs> well, 
we'll start off with where it's located, which is, as you would expect, Kamagawa City in the Chiba Prefecture. It's on the Tojo Coast. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> the Tojo Coast. Here's the thing that surprised me when I started looking into it. Despite the name, this is not associated with SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida. Yeah, it's not SeaWorld branded. It's just a world from the sea. Basically. It's actually <laughs> run by Grand Vista Hotels and Resorts Company. And it's also a member of the Japanese Association of Zoos and Aquariums, or JAZA. J-A-Z-A. Catchy. And it recently celebrated its 50th anniversary, despite scares that they wouldn't be able to reopen thanks to the pandemic. The place itself opened, speaking of their 50th anniversary, on October 1st, 1970, but it wasn't open to the public. And remember, we talked about this movie was released in 1971, so it was a year after that, but that's when it was opened to the public. And it was started by the Yasushi Tourism Corporation. It has three zones. The Eco Aqua Rome. I hope I said that right. I have never seen this word before. Does anyone know what an Aqua Rome is? Because I would love to know. Aqua Rome? Aqua Rome. Literally the words Aqua and Rome together. As in like R-O-A-M? Yes. If I'm thinking right, and I might be wrong, that is the underwater tunnels that you see in a lot of ah. aquariums. Where they have the aquarium up above, and then you're going kind of through a tunnel. Uh, kind of like they had. I might be wrong on that. Destroyer, they had like some features yes. like that. Yeah, I think that might be what it is. Okay, and then the other zones are the tropical island and rocky world, not the rocky road. And they have eleven thousand sea creatures on display in nine tanks that have a total of three point one seven million gallons of water. And uh, you know what I have to say to that, Travis, in light of your most recent episode? That's a lot of fish. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say that's a lot of water, but that works too. <laughs> so here's a well, little quotation I mean, that I... Fish have to swim somewhere. This is true. Preferably not Zilla's belly, right? <laughs> uh or Kong's belly, for that matter. But here's a little quotation I picked up from my research. Quote, There are a number of unique features to be found at Kamigawa SeaWorld. The Equa Aqua Rome has wave generators and various tanks that aim to replicate the conditions the fish are subjected to in the rivers and streams around the Boso Peninsula. The Tropical Island Zone, which houses the largest indoor tank in Kamigawa SeaWorld, simulates the coral reef in a tropical sea where visitors can imagine themselves to be diving and seeing all sorts of tropical fish. There is also an interactive area in this zone where visitors can paint a digital fish and see it swim on a large screen. Sounds exciting. Yeah, and actually, that's what I was just looking at. So apparently an aqua roam is basically like a, a place where they have a lot of the open tanks, like ones that have where you can see inside the tank or can even like have touch pools and stuff. And so you can roam around them and stuff. Mm. It's not the tunnels under the uh, aquariums like that. And so they have a lot of the fish and stuff that you would see in wading pools or some of them are deep sea ones. And it's just their open top one. So you can actually look into them. You can walk up to the edge of the aquarium and look down into it. Hey, 
Yeah, I do. Wow. You have impressed my intrepid producer. Congratulations. I used to work at a marine life center. Well, there you go. You speak from experience. <laughs> so when Kamigawa SeaWorld opened, it had resort hotels like the Kamigawa Grand Tower and the Kamigawa SeaWorld Hotel and Ryokan slash recreation facilities were built there, transforming South Boso into a resort town inside of a year. Yasu Tourism merged into Mitsu Komura, formerly North Coast Tourism and now Grand Vista, in 1986, and this became their main facility. In 1987, the Ocean Stadium was built that could accommodate about 2,000 people for orca performances, which is actually one of the things that Kamigawa SeaWorld is well known for. It expanded in July 2001 to display fishes from the South Pacific and the new Sea Turtle Beach construction. So now they have sea turtles. How appropriate that Gamera helped, perf- yeah. <laughs> helped promote them back when they opened. My favorite animal of all time. Love sea turtles. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when I worked at the Marine Center that I worked at, we took in injured and lost sea turtles and helped nurse them back to health. And so I was actually got to work with some sea turtles up close and personal. Oh, it- neat. Did you ever try to convince them to name them Gamera? No, but I did try to see if a couple of them could breathe fire, and <laughs> it never happened. Oh, well, that must have been interesting. Another thing that Kamigawa SeaWorld was known for? Exhibiting dolphins and sea lions and breeding and training orcas. Oh, didn't we see some of that in this movie? Yeah, we saw some dolphins and sea lions, right? Yeah, this is definitely a pre-Blackfish movie. Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. Do we want to talk about that? How uh, they actually had a dead dolphin that they were dissecting? Because that was pleasant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I got this from Kamigawa SeaWorld's official English language website. They have four initiatives. These are their four initiatives. The concept behind the exhibits at Kamigawa SeaWorld is Encountering the Ocean World. We provide a place where our visitors will be amazed by the beauty of sea life and learn about the importance of it and its surrounding environments through exhibitions representative of the natural world and performances by our sea animals. Related to that, they have educational activities about which they say, quote, we have created a place for fun learning by providing a variety of educational programs. Yippee skippy. They also are into wildlife conservation activities. Quote, we promote activities to conserve species and contribute to building an environment in which humans can live in harmony with nature and wildlife, end quote. Another one of their initiatives, Promotion and research of captive breeding. Quote, we promote captive breeding and conduct related studies and research. End quote. I mentioned they like that they breed orcas over there. And finally, community partnership. Quote, our studies and research activities, including releasing rescued animals, are supported by local communities. Related quotation to that point, quote, the collection of sea creatures to be exhibited at the aquarium cannot be done without the cooperation of local fishermen 
who also provide us with the support for releasing rescued animals back into the wild and conducting studies and research. We also actively collaborate with administrative bodies, police, local tourism associations, and other organizations and participate in events on Coming of Age Day, which is an, an interesting little Japanese holiday, I might add, Chiba Residence Day, and Respect for Senior Citizens Day. Well, that's one I didn't know about. <laughs> I feel like that needs to be added to the United States someplace. Respect for Senior Citizens Day. And contributing to local cultural activities. And I think we actually saw some of that because we had that nice little filler scene in the movie. Remember that? Where it was just the hotel owner arguing with the fisherman? Yeah. Had really yeah. nothing to do with anything, but they needed to make this movie 90 minutes, so they just threw it in there. So, in terms of their research, here's a few points that I found. They have successfully bred fish and your favorite, Travis, sea turtles. Yay! Yep, a little quotation here. Quote, 2003 was a hit year for childbirth, and it's talking about the animals. Unfortunately, I think this little quotation was uh, awkwardly translated. And a total of nine killer whales, <laughs> walruses, Caspian seals, stellar sea lions, two, actually has in parentheses, two, California sea lions, parentheses two, and bottlenose dolphins, parentheses two, were born. All right. Then they also say, in addition, the ocean sunfish kuki, I hope I said that right, K-U-K-E-Y, kuki, mm -hmm. who started captivity like in cookie. 1980, what? Did it some? would be like cookie. Maybe. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> cookie. Who started captivity in 1982, set a world record for captivity for 2,993 days, living for eight years. Cookie, cookie was 72 centimeters or 2.36 feet at the time of delivery, but was 187 centimeters or 6.14 feet in size at the time of death. Another quotation. In addition, about one to three California sea lions are born every two years. In the past, stellar sea lions gave birth at the same pace as sea lions, but it seems that there are no plans for a while because the male Nosa died in 2007. Like I said, you know, these kind of awkwardly translated. And then finally, the bottlenose dolphins Slim and Sunny, sounds like a musical duo there, Slim and Sunny, the first born in Japan from artificial insemination. There you go. And that was on July 19, 2003. So I guess that was a big accomplishment for them. So I mentioned that uh, they do a lot of stuff with killer whales. I've got a few quick facts here about what they do with killer whales. December 2015, Rabby, which was a, a female who was actually born on January 11th, 1998. And then you had Lara, born in February 8th, 2001. And then they have Run. These are all the killer whales that they have. Run, a female, born February 25th, 2006. Luna, I wonder if that's like the cat. Another female born July 19th, 2012. Rabby, Lara, and Ran are sisters, and Luna is Rabby's daughter. In addition, three surviving families, Stella, Earth, and Lynn, are bred at the Port of Nagoya Public Aquarium. So they do a lot of stuff with killer whales. Another quotation here. Although killer whales have been bred since the opening of the aquarium, it was not until 1995 that they were able to give birth. So Maggie, a female, gave birth on March 3rd, but died in just 30 minutes due to her breech birth. That's unfortunate. The second child, who gave birth on October 5th, 1997, died that day, and Maggie died two days later. This is not well known because another killer whale gave birth later, but an 
FRP replica, I'm not sure what FRP is, of the bread individual is displayed on the first basement floor of Rocky World as a newborn killer whale with a bulleted explanation plate. Well, there you go. And then it said that they successfully bred a pair of killer whales named Stella and Bingo. (laughs) Give these interesting names. In 1997... And in January 1998, they gave birth to their first child, who was named Ravi, which is the one that we talked about earlier. And apparently this won them a breeding award. I didn't know they gave out awards for breeding orcas. That's news to me. Maybe they should try doing that on the island, although that would be kind of awkward because I don't know how well kaiju breeding would go, especially after everything happened with Zilla. The would be the, the Lepus. Yes, we do have a Lepus bunny. <laughs> and we're going to keep it at one because if there are two, there will soon be more. Bring them to make good feeding stock for some of the other kaiju. I th- uh, hmm, that would cause some trouble. Yeah, eat the people yeah, or eat what, the fat rabbits. So. Uh, this is true, what, what but what do you call the kaiju version of PETA? Is it Kita? Uh, no, well, uh, they're called scale. <laughs> <laughs> Although they seem to have shifted away from terrorism to more just kaiju rights activism, I guess. Anyway, it is said that this further increased the name recognition of Kamigawa SeaWorld and it brought in some more visitors. Later in the year, they had four children, all female, were born. So those were Lara in 2001, Sarah without an H, so it's not my real sister who died in 2006, was born in 2003, and then you had Ran in 2006, and they play an active role in the performances that they do over there, which we also saw in the movie, remember? Remember they were worried about, they had the orcas doing stuff when Woman X was trying to catch the kids. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I heard, I think that was towards the beginning, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe. No, because they... The kids. Okay. I'm just thinking of... I I remember it was mentioned in the commentary that when they were filming the movie, they were worried that the kids might get hurt by the killer whales. Apparently, their parents were off to the side. They were like, don't let the whales hurt them. Okay. In October 2008, like I said, I apologize if this seems mildly incoherent, but like I said, these were awkwardly translated. In October 2008, a third-generation individual, Earth, was a male, was born between a 10-year-old Rabbi and an estimated 23-year-old Oscar. Well, we haven't heard about Oscar yet. That was another male. And then from this same pair, we, they also had Luna, who was born July 2012. And that's really all I got on Kamigawa SeaWorld, guys. Not the most extensive or academic of topics, but this is Gamera versus Zigra. What do you do? So they didn't have anything on humpback whales? I don't know if they do anything with humpback whales. a starship admiral that's looking for a pair of humpback yes. whales. I was on the drift space to talk about that. Yeah, yeah that was a, it was a different... Uh, well, that wasn't even a sea world. No, that was just an aquarium. <laughs> yes, yes. But time travel is a messy business. Jimmy over there is not very fond of time travel. Not at all. After all the stuff that happened with the Futurians in the early 90s, he's like, nope. <laughs> I like space travel. Time travel <laughs> is problematic. <laughs> so yeah, don't get him started on time travel. You should see what happens when I quote a few lines of Back to the Future to him. I think he contemplates murdering me on the spot with his laser pistol. <laughs> he gets as aggressive with that as he gets with the the Star Wars prequels, huh? Uh, not quite as bad. 
Not quite as bad. I actually saw him. He posted on Twitter earlier today that the Phantom Menace broke his heart and his brain and his faith in the franchise. <laughs> well, how does he feel now that time travel is kind of sort of uh, in the Star Wars canon? He's reaching for that microphone and he, Jimmy, we don't need a <laughs> Okay. You took over the show once. I don't need you to do it again. All right. Especially with your malfunctioning Jim, microphone. Jimmy, we'll talk about it off podcast. Yes. That's, that would be a great idea. Yep. Yeah. He totally agrees. Uh, he's got the rant prepared, apparently. No wonder we get along. I mean, have you heard me today for this episode? <sighs> so, unless you guys have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should all make a trip to Kamigawa SeaWorld yep. sometime. Uh, ask him where the giant goblin shark is. That's something that should be mentioned. <laughs> Zigra's modeled after a goblin shark, and if you look up real goblin sharks, they look like kaiju, but tiny, or at least aliens. Yeah. They're kind of insane. Very, Seriously. very weird-looking sharks. Not the weirdest, but, very, uh, but up there. Most definitely. All right, guys, so it's time to move on to a little bit of listener feedback because I haven't done that in a while. And admittedly, I've been sitting on this for about five months, and I even told the guy I would read this on the air. So I need to keep my little promise here. But this is from James Eads. He did not send it to the feedback email. This was actually sent via Facebook Messenger to the podcast Facebook page. So he writes, just found your show on YouTube, really dug it. I listened to the Skull Island review, and I must say I never thought of the characters in the way you guys were talking about. So that's, well, I believe that was episode 12. I had Dallas Mora of Geek Devotions on for that one. I must say I enjoyed that very much. It opened my eyes in a positive way to look into that movie deeper. So and that was actually just the start of our conversation. We started going into some of the stuff that he's doing. He's done a little bit of content creation as well. He's actually started interviewing people like he was telling me as the conversation went on that he got to interview Alan Maxson, who did some of the mocap for the Ghidorah heads in King of the Monsters. So, like I said, promised him I would say that. And I have to say, getting messages and letters like this from listeners is always great to hear because that really is one of my main goals with this podcast to let everybody know that there's more to these movies than you realize. And I will even confess that when I worked on that episode that I gained a greater appreciation for Skull Island than I did the first time I had seen the movie and I realized actually yeah there actually there is more to these characters than I would think even though in to a certain extent they're kind of stock characters that you've seen everywhere but when you think about the historical context you know, this is a period movie when you think about the historical context suddenly those characters get a little bit more interesting particularly when you see how Vietnam veterans were being treated at that time there you guys go did you uh, have you ever thought about the the characters in Skull Island that way I need to revisit Skull Island because the movie, not the place, right? <laughs> well, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> trust uh, well, me, right? Uh, God, Godzilla vs. Kong showed us that uh, the island might not be as fun to visit as it used to be. <laughs> you know, yeah. It wasn't really I don't, that fun before. I don't think it's ever been all that fun. I've heard that the EDF mutant security forces here will go to Skull Island and squish the bugs there, the giant bugs there, for practice. <laughs> Well, but nice. it does, you know, that seemed like the apocalypse now kind of like informed the way they depicted the soldiers in, in this film mm -hmm. in Kong Skull Island. 
it's just again, it's kind of more of a vibe thing than anything I can really point to specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you've seen Apocalypse Now and see how the soldiers are kind of depicted there, and then kind of compare it to how they're depicted in Skull Island, then I, I wouldn't be surprised if the director just kind of drew some some uh, inspiration. Oh, he made that quite plain that he drew inspiration from Apocalypse Now for that yeah. film. He wears it on his sleeve, especially in terms of the visuals. I wouldn't say the storytelling is quite the same, obviously, because, you know, is that a monkey? I, <laughs> yeah, a little different than what you would usually. A little different than I love the smell of napalm in the morning, but, you know, not quite as interested in making a statement. But it's still there. And like I said, doing the research, I realized more to these characters than I originally thought. All right, since I can already tell that you guys are uh, relatively exhausted from your time here on the island, especially you, Travis, we need to uh, close up shop. Although, admittedly, I think you're just, you and Elijah, I just think you're both just perpetually tired, so. (laughs) Always tired. Tired is my personality type. (laughs) It seems like that sometimes. Although, at least... uh, no offense to you, Elijah, because in case you're listening, I'm pretty sure you're listening. You can bring the energy up a little bit better than Elijah can, I think. Sometimes. <laughs> Today's not quite one of those days. Or <laughs> no, no. Right before I came to Monster Island, I had dental work done. So oh, I that's not fun. Exhausted. oh that is definitely not fun well in that regard i think it's time that we wrapped up things before no jimmy do i have to (sighs) fine fine let me see nice little announcement that i'm contractually obligated to read from my orwellian overlords and their twitter what do we have today We are proud to announce that a large shipment of films and television series centered around our beloved Monster Island residents have just arrived via Super X3. We only use the most secure delivery service. Really? The Super X3 has been reduced to Amazon deliveries or something at this point? That's okay. I was not aware of this. Got no kaiju to fight anymore, I suppose. We expect our resident film curator, and they added me, will do his due diligence archiving them, even if it means working some mandatory overtime. Keep finding a better way forward. Well, looks like I'm going to have a long day too, fellas. Oh, yippee skippy. So it's going to be a long day, perhaps even a long evening. I guess I'll just cancel my plans now. So, in order to get to that a little bit faster, it's time to do a very important segment of the show, the Patreon shoutouts. Go show Michael Hamilton! Me, Travis Alexander! Danny Damana! Eli Harris, Chris Cook, Damon Noise, Cellcast, Bex from Redeemed Otaku. Thank you, gentlemen. It's always exhilarating to do that. And hey, Neil, you even got in on a little bit of this. That was it was good for your first time. I have to say. I'll be honest. 
<laughs> I can take it. <laughs> I am being honest. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> we're all a little bit tired and I have a long day ahead of me. But my, my skin is as thick as my head. I can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll talk after the we'll talk after the broadcast. But you listeners, if you would like to support the podcast, join MIFV Max on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. I said $3 a day once. That was a little nuts. And you get perks like this as well as bonus audio and behind the scenes blogs which Travis has been enjoying for quite some time. In fact, Travis, I think you were the first member of MIFV Max, <laughs> which was much appreciated. Really? Yes, the first. Yay. So there, just say it right now. I just first just, something. Yeah, do it like they always do on YouTube. Just go, first. First. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, to let all of you know, the next couple of episodes are going to be interesting to say the least our next episode is actually going to be a first for the show speaking of mifv max it will be our first ever patreon sponsored episode in fact the mifv max member who sponsored this sponsored it at the level where he gets to come on the show as the guest host who and is this person who is crazy enough to do this thing <laughs> this would be Eli Harris. And he requested that we go over three episodes of Godzilla the series. So we're going to be talking TV in the next episode and not a movie. So this will be another first for us. And he specifically asked for the episode. the 98 one? Yes, the 98 series, which is appropriate because you and Michael just talked about the movie. <laughs> yep. Yes. And That's he's a lot Yes, a lot of fish. And he specifically requested the episodes New Family Parts 1 and 2, which was the premiere, and his personal favorite episode, Deadlock, because it's about the Loch Ness Monster, who is not on the island, I might add. And then, who boy. I am stealing myself right now. The Year of Gamera continues next month with Gamera Super Monster, also known sometimes as Super Monster Gamera. I don't care what order the words in the title are. It's still the same thing. It's still what it is. <sighs> so are you going to do the Space Woman challenge? I might have to as part of the hype memes. <laughs> Yes, Jimmy, I know I'm a ballroom dancer, so it shouldn't be too hard. Anyway, and my guest for that episode will be another one of your fellow MIFV Max members, Travis, Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project, who apparently, he tells Yay. me, has a bit of a soft spot for this movie. And for good reason, because it is better than this one that we talked about today, Zigra, in every way. I have opinions. Now we come to a very important segment of the show. No episode is complete without shameless self-promotion. What do you have for us, gentlemen? We'll start with the new guy. Neil, what are you up to? Well, as you mentioned everyone at the beginning of the show, you know, I'm an uh, author, so I self-published two of my own uh, kaiju novels. 
first one is called I Shall Not May. And the second one is called Vista Kill. And not to get too deep into it, but kind of like to give you guys an idea what the flavor of the books are like. You know, I take a lot of inspiration from Ghidra, the Three-Headed Monster. Oh, where, good one. And in that realm, you know, you kind of deal with the world where the monsters are just kind of baked in the cake far as they're being part of the world we live in and people accept that. Some monsters are good, some are evil, but they all got personalities. And so ah. that's something that, that I think really kind of spices up my stories over most stories that you read where the monster kind of roars in anger and that's all they do. So in which case, mine had their own motivations. Yeah, if you might check those out, they're available on Amazon and then you can read more about them. All right. Okay. And hopefully you'll be continuing your staplehood by making up ridiculous words at G-Fest. <laughs> running oh, yeah. panels you know, and if I ever get G-Fest off the ground, I'll definitely be doing, running some more panels there for Kaiju Writers. I was going to say, feel free to invite me. I will make the trip here from Ogasawara happily. (laughs) I like going home to visit the States. Oh, sure, Jimmy. Yeah, give me a ride in Mechanicong Mark II or Uber Mogura, whichever. Actually, I think I prefer Uber Mogura personally. Did you hear hear about that, Neil? He rebuilt both of those mechs. It's quite impressive. Yeah, he rebuilt Mechanicong and used parts from both versions of Mogura, and whatever he didn't use, he cobbled together into a new Mogura, hence Uber Mogura. I've taken that thing for a spin. Let's just say trying to break up a fight between Godzilla and Kong is probably not the smartest move to make, but <laughs> Matt and Gratton from Giant Monster BS had a good time. So, mm. All right. What? I was going to say, if you used the Mechanic Kong one, you could have drawn Kong away because then you could use yourself as sort of like a bait and you know, would chase across the island. Yeah, that's what Jimmy <laughs> was trying to do, and we had to save his hide. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> what do you got, Travis? Well, I mean, I've been on here before, so anybody who's listened to the show knows who I am. But you can follow me at Kaiju Weekly. You can check out my podcast, Kaiju Weekly, where we explore the wide world of giant monster movies and embrace all the silly side of giant monster movies. I also am the content manager slash editor of Kaiju Ramen Magazine. If you want to know more about that magazine, you can check out kaijuramen.com, kaijuramenmagazine.com. I always mess it up. kaijuramenmagazine.com. And yeah, we've got a new podcast that we kind of semi-announced and have semi-started uh, <laughs> that me and uh, Nathan are doing. And that is The Henshin Men, Hen- where we talk about Shin. transforming <laughs> Henshin. <laughs> where we talk about transforming Japanese superheroes like your common Riders, like your Super Sentais, like your Ultramans. And yeah, and just talk about all their high-flying and high Common Rider kick. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, let me tell you, I've already had people message me requesting <laughs> a series for us to cover. And I'm like, slow down, guys. We got a lot of Common Rider to get through first. <laughs> we got a lot of Common Rider to get through. Look, okay. If if I could make it just a Common Rider podcast, I would. But Nathan won't let me. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding him hostage. But and, well, apparently our listeners uh, our listeners are like, are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? And I'm like, slow down, people. We have 98 episodes of Common Rider to do first. <laughs> One show at a time. <laughs> yeah. Is this the 70s Common Rider? Yes. The old original? Yes. Oh, boy. Yep. Yeah, they went the off like three seasons. Two. 
actually. Yeah, yeah, we're covering two episodes of the show, each one of our episodes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got at least a year's yeah. worth of content. Yeah, just we're locked in for a year. <laughs> That's yeah, a lot. At least a year. So, yeah, so there's uh, some fun to be had there and puns, lots of puns, seriously. Lots of puns. Indeed, indeed. All righty. With all of that out of the way, I will now demonstrate my finger snapping powers that hopefully won't make you fall asleep, but will instead tell Jimmy to cue those credits. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you enjoy the show and want to join the discussion, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Your message could be read on a future episode of the show. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can also follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and the Monster Island Board of Directors at Monster Isla BOD. I have fulfilled my contractual obligations! And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and Twitch. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive Live Edit by B33J, Sarax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack Battle with the Colossus and The Open Way Battle with the Colossus by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara! Okay... I think that's the last one. Good grief. Does the board want to make Monster Island the only place Toku fans can get copies of Power Rangers Samurai? Ugh. Tomorrow I have to start cataloging everything Common Rider. After a long day of broadcasting at KIJU. Ugh. There aren't enough kaiju energy drinks on the island to get me through this. The price I pay to stay terrestrial. Oh, uh, I forgot I had the probe droid set as your ringtone, Jimmy. Ironic, given that seems to be how your mic makes you sound on the air. You really need to get that fixed. Anyway, what did you text me? Really? Michael wants to change when we do his Patreon-sponsored episode? Guess I'll email Damon in the morning. I'll be lucky if I don't fall asleep walking back to my apartment, quarters, whatever it's called. Huh? What's this? A handwritten note? Nate, we have more in common than you realize. Meet me in front of the Gamera statue at 10 p.m. Tell no one. Please don't be late. Signed, Gary. As in Raymond Martin's paralegal? Uh, Wait, could this be about... the board? It might be a trap. 
But it's worth the risk if I can find another friend on the island. But it's after midnight. <sighs> Dang it! Sometimes tunnel vision is detrimental. <sighs> I'll go anyway. Yamane Plaza looks to be empty. And there's the Gamera statue. The dang thing looks like a gigantic Bandai figure with a crooked crown. I never did straighten that thing after it went cockeyed. Hello? Is anyone here? Hello? This is what I get for being tardy. Huh? That's not my phone. Wait. There. Behind the Gamera statue's foot. It's an old flip phone. Unknown number? Huh. Hello? Gee whiz, Nate. Don't you ever check your mail? You slipped me a paper note under the door. Gah. Don't say my name out loud. They might hear you. Regardless, a text message or an email would have been faster. I couldn't risk it. The board is monitoring all electronic communications on the island. Then should we be talking on this phone? It's a direct line they don't know about. I made sure of that. Okay. You said we have more in common than you think, but this clearly isn't a social call. So what's this about? You're trying to out the board, aren't you? Yeah, Jimmy and I have been trying to uncover their identities for months. So am I. Ever since Raymond and I came to the island, I've been suspicious that they were up to no good. I don't know why Raymond doesn't see that. Unfortunately, the island's resident legal eagle is a bit of a dodo. Hey, don't say that. Raymond's been my mentor since law school. Anyway, what have you learned? Not much, I'm sorry to say. I, I even tried chasing one of them into the hollow earth a few months ago. So that's what you were doing. <laughs> you gave Mr. Martin quite the scare. I know, I know. But I was hoping that if I found this board member, he'd lead me to the rest. And instead you ended up trapped in the Hollow Earth for a while. Right. But the scientists appreciated me finding that tribe and learning ASL from Tia to communicate with the Kaiju. <laughs> Regardless, my efforts haven't fared much better. <sighs> now what do we do? I have access to documents. Most people don't as part of the legal action. So I'm going to scour those with what little free time Raymond gives me. There has to be some clues there. When I have enough evidence, I'll have you broadcast it to the island and the rest of the world. Sounds like a plan. And if your sister... Pseudo-sister... Yes, eh, legally debatable. But if she learns anything from Miss Perkins, pass it along to me. How do you know she's working that angle? <laughs> I contacted her first. She's prettier than you. No argument there, but don't let me catch you hitting on her. Duly noted. Keep this phone with you so we can stay in contact. Alright. Let's get to work. In the morning. Good Godzilla, I need some sleep.